That is our prayer, God, that you would be glorified through us, through every aspect of who we are, that you would so fill us with your presence, with your glory, that we would so, Lord, put those parts of us to death that would keep you from being seen. We would radiate your love, your joy, and your peace to a world that desperately needs to know the truth that you love them. Embrace us with that tonight, God, I pray. Boldly, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I release the kids through grade four, and we'll all pray that this voice holds out. A great time in Israel. It was nice and dry, and then I came back here to all this pollen and everything. Worse than 20 years, and you know, so here we go. So I will be graveling at you all night, and yeah. But, oh man, I'm so excited to be back. So excited to be here with you and to share with you tonight. Uh, and the title of the message is What's Really Happening in Israel Right Now. And so I'm kind of excited to let you know now that I'm an eyewitness to that. But we had a great time away. You see that we have roses on the platform. And um, this is the fourth year that we've done this, that we've had roses on the platform for a certain Sunday and weekend. Who can tell me what, what tomorrow is? Pentecost. Excellent. Yes, and so Pentecost, um, if, if we were in, in Israel, this would be decorated with flowers like crazy, and everybody would be wearing white, and Shavuot is, uh, is the Pentecost, and so it's 50 days, Pentecost, 50 days since the festival of first fruits, okay? And so we understand and look back, it really doesn't have anything to do with Easter, Rather, it has to do with the Passover, okay? And so Passover comes, and Passover is that first festival for the Jewish people. And, and of course, Jesus is, is the Passover lamb, and so we have Passover, which is the first feast, and then we have the Feast of first fruits, which was the Sunday when he was raised from the dead. And so that's the second spring festival. If you look at Leviticus chapter 23, you'll see all these. And then that third spring festival is Shavuot, and it's the Feast of Weeks, and so it's been counting, so 50 days since Christ was raised from the dead, um, we've, we've come to this day called Pentecost. And Pentecost is, we looked at that in Acts chapter 2, it's, um, it's this truth of the Holy Spirit being poured out on his people. And uh, I think, do I have a picture of Jerusalem? Nope. Yes. Okay, so this is a model of, of Jerusalem at the time of Christ, okay? And it's a model that's there in, in Jerusalem, and it, it's huge. It's, it's probably as big as this room, maybe bigger. And so this is the Temple Mount. And so you'll re- you, you may remember when we talked about Acts chapter 2, and, and we talked about, about Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples. And so the upper room, uh, I should do it on this screen. Which screen? This one's brighter. 
I'm on this screen here, okay? And so the upper room would have been in this area here. And, and, and it's believed that the disciples were all together at that place when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they began to proclaim in tongues that everyone could hear and understand because there were Jews there from all over the world because Shavuot or Pentecost is one of the festivals that Jews come from all over the countryside to be a part of. And so the Holy Spirit was poured out on his people, and they began to proclaim the truth of Scripture. And you'll remember that they would meet every day in Solomon's porch, Solomon's colonnade, which is all along this side, which is the eastern wall of, of the uh, Temple Mount. And this Temple Mount that you see here is about 36 acres. Okay, so sometimes, you know, we can think, the Lord added to their number 5,000 that day. And you're like, yeah, right. How did that happen? Well, 36 acres. Okay, so you start to think about that. And you look at that, and, and they would meet all along here. And uh, that's where they would meet every day and come together. Significant to think that God, at just the right time, brought the Holy Spirit and that completed the spring festivals. And, and we can't understand Passover fully without Shavuot, without Pentecost, without understanding this giving of the this Holy Spirit. And so what's really happening in Israel right now is this move of God and a reawakening of the Holy Spirit. And it's exciting to see. The truth is for us, if we think of what's happening in Israel right now, we have some pictures that, that probably resonate with you a little bit better. The embassy, right, being moved, and, and then, um, right, you've seen pictures like this uh, of things that are going on in the, in the Gaza Strip. And, and the Gaza Strip is, is that place where there's so much tension between the Palestinians and, and the Israelites. And, and here's the American flag and the Israeli flag side by side as, they're, as there's celebration in one part of the city, one part of the, of the country, and then in another part of the country there's this, this great turmoil going on. And it's interesting because God in his providence chose that that would be the time that we went there as a group. And so we were there when these things were happening, and, and, and it was interesting. Now, what's happening, in, is there a map there, Emma? As you look at, at Israel, what's happening right now in Israel is that God is calling his people back, and this is the land of Israel. Now, this land of Israel you see, would fit into Lake Michigan. Okay, so that's how big this country is or how small this country is. It's incredibly located in a place of the world where five million birds migrate over this. Okay, it's like the only way to get through. So the birds, rather than flying over the Mediterranean, go right around and fly over Israel. It's the main traffic pattern, and that's why it's such an important piece of property. So what's happening 
is this area, this lighter yellow area, is what's called the West Bank. All right, that's what's named the West Bank. It's actually the Transjordan, and uh, it was its property that, that has been given to the Palestinians. And then over here, we have the Gaza Strip. This is five miles wide and 15 miles long. This is that Gaza Strip that you hear so much about on the news. And it's part of what was Philistia. The Philistines came from here. Up in this area is the Golan Heights. Okay, and this Golan Heights is a piece of property on the um, east side of the Jordan River, the upper Jordan River, that was taken by the Israelis in 1967. Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, okay, all right around here. So this piece of property in 1948 declared independence and became the state of Israel. But the truth is, God named this land. And, and so as we look at this, we have opportunity to look at this either through what we hear on the news and what we understand politically is happening. And there's some pretty significant things happening there politically. But what I'd like us to do tonight in these few minutes that we have is to take the filter of Scripture and look through Scripture to see what's happening in Israel right now. And I think you're going to be pretty excited to hear. So we're going to start out because what's really happening in Israel right now is that prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes. Prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes. And the first thing I want us to consider is that there's a covenant that has been cut. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? And what that means is that God has come to Abram, and he cut a covenant with Abram. He made a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant is found in Genesis chapter 15. And those last couple of verses of that chapter, and I'm reading this from the Tree of Life version. On that day, Adonai cut a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your seed. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the Kenite, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. All of this land was given to Abram. Now, who gave it to Abram? The owner of the land gave it to Abram, okay? Because God owns the land. How many of you own a house? You know, and, and whose land is that house on, right? I own that land. Yeah, sure you do. You know, God owns all. He created it. It's all his. Everything is his. You're his, you know, even if you don't admit it or acknowledge it. You belong to him because he made you, and this land belongs to him. And interestingly, he took this, this piece of land which seems to be in the middle of nowhere, but is actually one of the most important pieces of land that there is. And he chose to give that to Abraham and his descendants. And this piece of land that was given to him was given to him on a promise from God. Now he cut 
a covenant with Abram. And what that means in this particular chapter, and I invite you to look at that on your own during the week, but what would happen at the time that this covenant was made is if two people were making an agreement with each other, and it was an agreement that had great significance, they would take animals and they would cut those animals in half. Now this sounds really gross to us, right? But this is the way the contracts were made, covenants were made. And so they would cut the animal in half and they would find a place where the animals could be put like this and the blood would go into a trench, okay? And then the two of them would walk through the trench together. And what that would signify is if in any way I break this covenant, then I will become like these animals, I will die, okay? And so what happened when God cut this covenant, cut this covenant with Abram, He put Abram into a deep sleep and he walked through on his own because this is a covenant that God has made that depends on God and God alone. And that's the promise of this land to Abram and people and that all nations would be blessed through him. Now this land promise, this land covenant was made to Abraham. It was restated to Isaac in Genesis 26.3, it was restated to Jacob, Abram's grandson, in Genesis 28.13-15. So this promise of this land has been made to the nation of Israel because Jacob's name was changed to Israel, okay? So this is the covenant, the, the promise that has been made. And so this land is actually, I think we have a picture of the land here, don't we, Emma? There it is. So this, you'll see, this is the wrong light. There we go. This right now is where Israel sits, right? But you'll see the promised land is from the wadi of Egypt or the the river of Egypt all the way up to the tigers, all the way over here. All of this land is what God promised to Abram. Now that has never happened. There's never been a point in time, even when David and Solomon were at the height of their kingdoms, there was never a time that all this land was given to the descendants of Abram. So this promise has yet to be fulfilled. Now one of the things we sang about tonight was the faithfulness of God, right? That you are faithful. That, that we can trust you, that I've never been alone, that, that I can trust in who you are. What that means is that God keeps his promises. And this is a promise that he's made to Abraham that he, has, he will keep, but has not happened yet. So, what do we see? We see that the, the covenant's reaffirmed in Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, And I know I'm probably teaching more here, but it's important for us to understand these things because when I get to the rest of the story, you need to have this background, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. When all these blessings and cursings I've set before you, and this is Moses speaking. Moses is in Deuteronomy, which is the second law. Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. And the reason it has to be given a second time is because the first time it was given, those 
those, that generation chose not to go into the land, and so God had them wander in the desert, and then this is their children who are now going into the land. And Moses is giving them the law a second time. And he says, after all these blessings and cursings I've set before you, come on you, and you take them to heart. Wherever the Lord God disperses you among the nations... And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you the most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, this is the, the restatement of the land covenant. This is God re-speaking this land covenant through Moses to the people of Israel. And notice in there that even as this generation is preparing to move into this land that they've been promised, Moses tells them, you're going you're gonna to get dispersed from there. You're going to be leaving there because you won't obey and you're going to be scattered all over the world. But I will bring you back, God says. He reaffirms that. Now in Deuteronomy 29, and I don't have this up on the screen, but in Deuteronomy 29, verse 22, Moses says, your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will all see the calamities have fallen on the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur. Nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to this land? Why this fierce burning anger? So see, what this is saying, what Moses is saying, is that God is going to come into this land that he's promised to the Israelites. And because they turn from him, he's going to scatter them all over the world. And when he scatters them all over the world, he's going to take this land of promise, this land according to Deuteronomy, that will be a land flowing with milk and honey, that will be this beautiful place that they can be living in. He will take it and make it a desert, barren wasteland. And in later generations your children and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, read 
Mark Twain's Innocence Abroad. Anybody ever read that? Okay. So, Mount Tabor, Mark Twain says, and Mount Tabor is the Mount of Transfiguration, stands solitary in a silent plain, a desolation. We never saw a human being on the whole route, hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, whose fast friends of a worthless soil had almost deserted the country. In 1867, a foreigner from a distant land came and gave absolute attestation to the fact that this land was barren, was destroyed. If you read uh, Innocence Abroad, Mark Twain has very little to say that's good about Palestine. Very, very little. And so we see that this has come true, that the Israelites had been scattered all over the world. And this happened when the Assyrians came. And the Assyrians came and they took Israel, which were the ten northern tribes, and they, they scattered them and defeated them. And then Babylon came and took over Judah, and they scattered them again. And so they were scattered all over the world. And then again in 70 AD, when, uh, when the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was overthrown, scattered all over the world. And so basically what we have is we have the Jewish people have been scattered everywhere. But there have always been a remnant of Jewish people who have stayed in the land. Because God has tied the land to the heart of the Jewish people. And so there's always been a remnant there, but as well there's been these people scattered all over the world. And we understand and know as we look at history that these are a people who have, who have experienced all sorts of tribulation. And they've been abused and they've, been, and they've experienced all sorts of things. And we understand and know the Holocaust is just one of those things that they've experienced in their time away. And it's because God is wanting them to proclaim his glory and his name. See, they, they were chosen by him to be a people to take this land and from this land to proclaim the truth of who he was. They were to go out and declare the glory of who God is so that all the nations of the world would want to be loved by the God who loved them. But instead, they turned to the gods of everybody else. And so he had to make sure that his name was guarded. The next thing we see that I want to bring us to is Ezekiel 36 and 37. And in Ezekiel 36 and 37, uh, 36 verse 8, Emma, is where I'm going to go. But you, mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will come home soon. I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. He's talking to the mountains of Israel. And uh, you will be plowed and sown, and I will cause my people to live on you. Yes, all of Israel. The towns will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will increase the number of people and animals living on you and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will cause people, my people Israel, to live on you. They will possess you and you will be their inheritance and you will never again deprive them of children. Verse 15 no longer will I make you hear the taunts of the nations and no longer will you suffer scorn of the peoples 
or cause your nation to fall, declares the sovereign Lord. So we see that, that God is speaking to the land and saying to the land that it would be fruitful again. And then he goes on in chapter 36, verse 19. I dispersed the people among the nations. They were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name, for it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. See, the very fact that the Jewish people have been scattered all over the world profanes the name of the Lord because they haven't taken hold of the promise that he gave him. And so he's saying to them, while you're being scattered, you're profaning my name. Therefore, verse 22, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. Verse 24, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and will bring you back to your own land. Verse 27, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Verse 32, I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says, on that day I will cleanse you from all your sins. I will resettle your towns and ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. So what? (laughs) So what? I was in Israel 11 years ago. And then I was in Israel last week. And it's incredible the difference in those 11 years. The cities are growing One of our team members said if they could invest in something, they'd invest in those cranes because they're all over the place. There's buildings going up, Tel Aviv, Kaifa, Jerusalem. These cities are, are being built up and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And when we drove through, and so many of the places that we drove, that there is so much vegetation that the places that were desolate, Mark Twain in 1867 said he couldn't even see a tree. Now there's trees growing everywhere. They're irrigating the desert and it's, and it's bearing fruit like you wouldn't believe. I wish you could see it because it's just mile after mile after mile of, of crops that are growing. Just what God's talking here. This land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. And that's what it is. It's beautiful. It's lush. It's green. And, and you're like, am I in the desert? And the cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. These cities, and here's the thing. We watch on the news, right? And we see the bombs, and we see all these things, and we see all these things that were happening. You know, there was one night we were there. We were staying up in the Galilee. We were uh, in, in a kibbutz there. 
And we were staying there, and about midnight, we heard all these planes taking off. Okay, and you probably heard about that on the news because it was the, it was the night that the Iron Dome protected Israel, and, and we were there. And you're like, well, what were people doing the next day? Just going on with their lives. It was like it had never happened. These cities are being built, and they're being fortified, and they're being strengthened, and, and they're growing because God is bringing the people back He's bringing them back to show his power because it's profaned his name to have them scattered. And he's bringing them from the four corners of the world. When we sat in the Messianic service last week, um, Avi Shalom said, where, where are you all from? You know, and, and some of us said Wisconsin. And we thought, man, we've come from a long way. What else was there? South Africa, right? And um, Germany. Yeah, Germany. And, and then there was a whole group of kids. And I mean, here's this service where there's just people from everywhere. And then there were people there from Texas and, and who have just moved because the Jewish people continue to come back to this land that God has promised to them. The first day we were there, we saw Independence Hall. And Independence Hall was where on May 14th in 1948, Ben-Gurion declared the independence of Israel and declared that Israel was a state. While we were in Independence Hall, Mike Brisky read for us from Ezekiel 37. <clears throat> the hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel said, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Rock. There's no breath, no spirit, no life. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the rock. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people... I am going to open your graves and bring you out from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. 
when I open your graves and bring you up from the land, from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. What's happening in Israel right now? Through the filter of Scripture. Through the filter of Scripture, the dry bones are rattling. The dry bones are rattling. The people of Israel are coming back. God is calling them from four corners of the world, from as far away as they can be. They're coming. And they're coming from all over. They're making aliyah. And they're coming into Israel. And they're coming, and they have no idea who Messiah is. They're they're just coming because God is drawing them to the land. He's drawing them from all the places where they've experienced scorn. And he's bringing them back in. And as they're coming back in, he's putting flesh on them. And what we're starting to see now, and what was so amazing for us as a group as we went, was to see the ones who have been brought back, who have received the Spirit of God, the Ruach. The Spirit has been brought into them. Our Messianic Jewish uh, uh, congregations that we partner with there. And it's a growing movement in the nation of Israel. As more and more people are coming to understand and know that Yeshua is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, is how we would say it. And they're coming to understand that as they come into their land. And so what we see is this fulfilling of this prophecy right before our eyes. And that's incredibly exciting In Isaiah 11, in that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people. See, he did this once, right? He brought the people back under Cyrus, under, under Ezra and Nehemiah. He brought the people back, but now he's going to do it a second time. And this time from Egypt, Egypt, Cush, Elam, Babylonia, Hamath, the islands of the seas. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Jeremiah, however the days are coming, declares the Lord, when men will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and all the countries where he has banished them, for I will restore them to the land I gave their forefathers. That's a huge passage. I read it quickly. What it's saying is, so many of us are, can you believe that God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt? Jeremiah is saying, that's nothing. Can you believe that he's brought now six million Jewish people from the four corners of the earth and he's drawn them into this country, into this land, and they are inhabiting it. And it's the fulfillment of prophecy. And it's right before our eyes. And understand that, that their coming does not depend on them. It depends on God. Sometimes you read in the paper and it's like, well, they rejected God, so God's done with them. Is God faithful? Who walked through? 
Who cut the covenant? Who walked through? This promise does not depend on Israel. Just like your salvation does not depend on you. It depends on God. See, if, if, if God's promises are true, then every one of God's promises are true. And his promise is that he's going to bring these people back because it's part of his prophecy that must be fulfilled. And it's so exciting to know that we're in that time right now. And I believe that with all my heart. But what this means is for us to be so excited about sharing the truth of the gospel. Here, but also praying for our Messianic Jewish people and congregations in Israel who are, who are seeking to have those people understand and know who Yeshua is so that he can place his spirit in them as well. Now understand, even as I say, we're in prophecy being fulfilled now. Prophecy indicates that two-thirds of these people will be killed. There will be a worse, a worse war. It's coming. And it's coming to Israel. And the day is close. Tomorrow, next Saturday, a year from now. When Jesus was asked about it, he said this in Matthew. It was as in the days of Noah. There was eating and drinking. People were just going on with their life as if nothing was happening. There was war, there was rumor of wars, all of these things. And the truth is, the signs are here. And the signs are telling us that we're close. And just like in the days of Noah, we're just going about our lives as if nothing's going to happen. We're, we're, just, we're just going about things as usual. What if we only have five weeks left? What if we only have a year left? Do you know that Jesus is coming again? And, and, and I just gave you three passages. I could take you to 25 passages that all say the same thing. This is amazing that these people are in this land. And if you were there, the Iron Dome is protecting them. <laughs> it's the hand of God. This is a country that fits into Lake Michigan, okay? It's the hand of God. Now, they don't get that. They think it's them. They think, you know, they think it's them that are bringing the safety. That's why it's so important that we pray for them. But the so what for me today, what does it mean that prophecy is being fulfilled before our very eyes? What does it mean... Listen, when you watch the news, we met people who are giving their heart and soul to this land. We met Arab Christians. Arab Christians who, who are living in the land and, and they're Israelis. They're, they're Israelis, but they're Arabs. And they're there in the land and they're trying to win people to Jesus. And at the same time, the, the Jewish people 
are in conflict with them. And yet one of the nights we were there, we saw a Jewish woman come and give a hug to an Arab Christian lady, which was like unbelievable and amazing. And we don't understand that when we watch the news. When we watch the news, all we see is, is tough. Probably a lot of you don't spend a lot of time in Ezekiel and Zechariah and Daniel and Joel. But Pentecost is God sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit comes on power, in power, to those who turn their hearts to him. And he has brought the Holy Spirit, and he's leaving him here for us, as Gentiles grafted into this, part of the promise. But that Holy Spirit, he is going to invade the Jewish people. And there's a revival coming. So what am I going to do about this? Do you have an urgency? Do you, do you, believe, do you believe what Scripture says? Do you believe that this could be the fulfilling of prophecy? And how does that shape my heart? And how does that shape my tomorrow if God is moving right now in this way? We've been waiting 2,000 years. So God, search our hearts. Let your word do what your word needs to do in our lives. God, I come back from Israel seems so clear to me, Lord, that you're fulfilling this prophecy right now. I don't know what that means (laughs) as far as how much time is left. But God, I pray that you'd help each one of us to evaluate how we're living our lives. Help us live it with the urgency that's necessary for your glory. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.